Welcome to Running Up the Score. I am Alex Kennedy. This is my show that airs every Tuesday and Friday where we talk all things sports. Today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, a former co-worker. He is now a writer at Basketball Insiders. He is the host of the Media Pass podcast. My guest is Matt Issa. Matt, how are you? Alex, what is up, man? Um, in that intro, you failed to mention that you basically kickstarted my entire career. Um, so yeah. That's well, you're giving whatever. me too much credit. You're my my, my ment. I'm your you're my mentor. I'm your mentee. <laughs> whatever. But uh, yeah, what's up, man? I'm feeling good, feeling great. Well, I appreciate that. I gotta say, you know, I, I think that was all you. You were reaching out to people, asking for advice. You had the ambition, the drive to kind of reach out to people. You were already writing at that point. Uh, I was just happy to be able to, you know, bring you on at Basketball News. And uh, I loved your work. You made it very easy. Uh, you know, it, it's not like you were someone that's, you know, when you're a talented person reaching out, it's a lot easier to kind of help that person <laughs> than whenever it's someone that doesn't have the talent. So that was all you. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I, I want to talk all things NBA with you. We're going to jump around both conferences, talk about different teams. But starting off, uh, who are some teams or players that you've been watching, enjoying watching this year or that, you know, they've jumped out to you so far this season? Yeah. Um, so this year, my like designated favorite team has probably been the Sacramento Kings. I know I'm like a year late on that. I watched a lot of Kings last year. But like, first of all, I think like bringing back those like uh, those uh, Sacktown Royale uniforms just really did something for me aesthetically. Um, but, you know, I just love, I love continuity. I love the, the ability to kind of um, build upon what they did last year offensively. And now they're kind of working on the defensive side of the ball, trying to get a little bit closer to average there. I love me some Malik Monk. Um, so, yeah, I love watching the Kings. I think that they're one move away from, you know, joining that inner circle. And I think they have the ponies in the stable to make that move. Um, I also love watching, I really love watching Max Struess on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he's a very underrated defender. Um, he's really impressed me this year with his defense. He's impressed me with some of the playmaking they've allowed him to do. I'm, I'm still, I know a lot of people are kind of focusing on Donovan Mitchell's future and what all that means and if there's going to be a trade. Um, but I think that if they... They have something there. They have the potential to, if they can find that perfect lineup that like gives them that very good defense with the spacing they lacked last year, that they can be a better team than they were last year. And they shouldn't be so future focused and maybe kind of more geared towards the present. So yeah, Cleveland Kings. I like, I mean, I like, um, I like watching all the teams for different reasons. Um, even the Bulls, man, who I, I lost a lot of hope in like lately they've been, um, They've been pretty impressive. Uh, Kobe White, Pat Williams, Alex Crusoe is always a treat. Yeah, basketball is awesome. Basketball is awesome. You mentioned the Bulls. I, I want to talk about the Zach Levine situation because there's been so much talk. I mean, everything that the Bulls are doing has been interesting lately, especially. But the Levine situation is kind of overshadowing uh, their season. There's questions about his future. Uh, what do you make of that whole situation? It seems like we've talked about it in the show a bunch, but it seems like there's not a ton of interest in Levine, uh, especially because of his contract and just that whole situation. Uh, I'm not sure if it's because the Bulls' asking price is super high, uh, but what do you think is going to happen with Levine and that whole situation? Yeah, so my um, I remember when I first started covering the league a couple of years ago, I was like super, super high on the, the theoretical fit of Zach Levine on a contending team just because like in theory – He's like this perfect on-ball, off-ball, offensive hybrid. You know, he can do some on-ball playmaking, on-ball score, scoring. And then he's like theoretically supposed to be a great off-ball player, spacer, cutter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
And there's a, there's a reason why I keep using the word theoretical because like from a practical perspective, that's not actually who he is. Like, yes, he's like, he has on ball scoring chops. Yes. He's like a great um, catch and shoot three point shooter. But the thing I've realized that kind of makes it tricky for him to fit next to other like high usage, like great offensive players is he's not super decisive. And I think that is like, I know that's like not something like there's like a stat you could point to, but that's like kind of why this Bulls offense has never been able to be as good as they should have been in terms of um, like, you know, when they brought together DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, like, why do we like, you see those three guys and like, why is your offense like bottom five in the league? This is kind of why it's because like, even though in theory, Levine should be the perfect like guy to put next to a DeMar DeRozan, he's, he's not actually that because he lacks like great uh, like decision-making speed. Right. And so I think that's kind of what is happening with like the league and like their interest in Levine and why he's not getting the kind of interest you think he would get is because like, you know, the teams that would ideally like to trade for a Levine are teams that want to win the NBA title. And they're realizing like, okay, maybe he doesn't increase our ceiling as much as we originally thought. Um, so that's long winded way of saying that I was wrong about Levine. <laughs> Well, I, I think the contract is really scary too, especially with the new CBA. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's making forty million this season. Oh, yeah, there's that Next too. year it's forty-three million, then forty-five million, then he has a player option for forty-eight point nine. I mean, if you're a team, if if you do have some questions about Levine uh, and Jake Fisher, when he was on the show, he was saying that there's executives that are like, we've seen him put up stats, but it hasn't really translated to winning. You know, we haven't seen him in the playoffs. Like, there's, you know, th- those concerns are real. And then if you're going to make that kind of move, you're kind of going all in. It's a really big bet on Levine uh, because he's already had, he has that huge contract. So yeah, that is uh, significant, but I think you bring up a great point. I think that's a really, really good assessment of his game and kind of what teams are having to weigh when they're talking about a Levine trade and just how much you're going to have to give up. I mean, the bulls are, are asking for a lot. So uh, all those factors kind of make it a really difficult situation. And, and I'm very curious to see what kind of happens here going forward. Um, you wrote an article recently asking or making the argument, I guess, that, you know, is Kawhi Leonard the best player on the planet? And just how he's been playing recently. It's a pretty strong argument. He's been dominating. Um, and you even said in the article, like, it's nothing new. He's just doing what he's always done. And he's been, we've seen, I mean, when he's been healthy and, you know, uh, in a rhythm, he's been incredible and unstoppable. Um, I think what's jumped out to me is just how efficient he's been. I mean, he's shooting like 65% from the field, 60% from three, uh, I think 95% from the free throw line over like the last five or six games. Uh, on the season, he's uh, shooting a career high, true, true, true shooting percentage. It's been really impressive what he's doing. And I think initially they make the James Harden trade. There's all these jokes because they start like, what was it? Oh, and six, oh, and seven. Yeah. And people were loving that on Twitter. Um, you know, there was obviously an adjustment period. I am this you bring in... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you bring in... Uh, any kind of focal point or system <laughs> and it's there's going to be an adjustment period um but i think they really needed you know a facilitator it's helping Kawhi and pg and and Kawhi, i think he looks incredible what do you and, and we saw the clippers recently had this winning streak they're one of the hottest teams in the nba they did lose uh to the thunder but uh they've been playing really well and they're climbing up the standings what do you make of this clippers team and uh you know you you wrote the great article about Kawhi's play recently you know is i mean I think the percentages are going to come down a little bit, obviously. No one's shooting 60% from three mm-hmm. for a, for a you know, long-term stretch. But uh, can you kind of break down his game and what's been working so well for him? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
you're you're an NFL guy. I know you're a big Buccaneers fan, right? Yep. As, as I remember, Buccaneers fan hat. He's wearing it. I should have guessed that. <laughs> but um, I, I had this epiphany, and it's not it's not based in any sort of empirical research. I don't have any statistical evidence to back it up, right? But I had I had this epiphany, okay, with Brock Purdy, and you know, there's this big. MVP Brock Purdy is going to be the MVP of the NFL. This is I've seen your tweets. You're you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not I'm loving the Purdy Brock MVP yeah. case. His um, the EPA stuff is all whatever, right? Um, but I've realized like so every game Brock Purdy makes like a very very like beautiful throw. Like um, I remember against the Seahawks, he hit this one pass to Brandon Ayuk where he like fit it right in between the safety and the linebacker who was out in coverage. And it was like, he, he layered it so perfectly. And then like whichever commentator is trying to push the Purdy for MVP agenda that was working that game, he was, you know, he was just so complimentary of him. He's like, Oh my God, look at these kind of throws he can make. He's not just a game manager, but like, I think the reason that Purdy is able to do that is because he has so many weapons, right? So much going in his favor that his mental load is significantly lower than like the average quarterback in the NFL. So he isn't like constantly thinking of like making all these crazy decisions, trying to make all these crazy reads because it's very simplified for him most of the time. So he's able to have one of these incredible reads in the, in the span of a game. Why am I bringing this up on an NBA podcast? Because I think the same thing is happening with Kawhi Leonard. Whereas instead of having like a Debo Samuel, and uh, Christian McCaffrey and a Brandon Ayuk and a Mike Kyle Shanahan. He has James Harden, right? And James Harden makes so many decisions for this team throughout the course of a game that Kawhi Leonard can kind of just lock in and be a scorer. Like that's all he needs to do. And that's why he's able to reach these crazy levels of efficiency. And then like, for example, in that Mavericks game, I don't know if you watched it, but like Kawhi made some really nice uh, playmaking reads to close out that game in the fourth quarter. And I think, that's akin to what Purdy is able to do like once or twice a game in an NFL game where he's able to pull out this like incredible passing read that he's not able to do under regular situations because his mind and the stress on it is alleviated so much by having James Harden make a majority of the decisions. I don't know if you're, if you get what I'm following, if you're. No, I think that's a really interesting. No, I think it's a really interesting comparison. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's one of the reasons why, Kyle Shanahan loves Brock Purdy too. Uh, he talked about it. He basically said he wanted like a Drew Brees with, you know, somewhat Lamar Jackson type athleticism. I mean, obviously that's a dream for every coach, but mm-hmm. Purdy is just athletic enough. He, you know, can move, spread the ball around. He's extremely efficient and accurate. Um, and yeah, there's something to be said about, you know, having all of those weapons and options at your disposal. So yeah, when you have James Harden and, and Paul George and uh, there's, it definitely makes life easier for a scorer. Uh, the defense has to adjust. And that's, I'm surprised that they're playing so well so quickly because, you know, I thought it was going to take more time for them to kind of develop that chemistry and get everyone on the same page. It's not easy when you have multiple star players who are used to having the ball in their hands and, uh, you know, kind of adjusting to that role. Um, and then again, the comments coming in. And, and Grant, I will say, James Harden, that press conference, I think if you actually watch the whole thing, the context is important and it wasn't as bad as it seemed. But Initially, you have a player saying, you know, I'm not a system. I'm, I'm a system. I'm not a system player. I mean, that's kind of scary. And you're like, okay, well, how is this going to go? Let's see what this experiment's going to look like. But it's really worked out well. And I don't know. I think this Clippers team is really interesting going forward. Um, I think this upcoming stretch is really interesting to kind of see just how good they are because 
a lot of their wins during that win streak were at home and against teams under 500. So I want to see how they play against top teams, you know, winning teams. They're going on the road quite a bit. We saw the loss against the Thunder, but yeah, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of how they respond and, and what they can do against these upcoming opponents. Um, oh, go ahead. Was I, gonna, oh, I was, was going to add in, um, if you look at their win streak, I actually pulled it up because me and the other Alex were supposed to do a podcast today, but like pretty much all those wins, it's like, um, you know, Derek Lively, Kyrie Irving's out. Uh, I forget what the other games I had. Um, like the, the Spurs had Devin Vassell out. Uh, the Kings had Keegan Murray out in one of their the wins. So they have forehanded. Like, yeah, yeah, the and they almost lost <laughs> exactly. so to the Blazers. Like, yeah. They won nine in a row, but like, I mean, the Knicks were missing Mitchell Robinson, right? Like they won nine in a row, but like it wasn't like a, a super impressive nine in a row. So I do think they're playing well, but we need to kind of tamper expectations and see them against some more like, you know, juggernaut teams. Yeah, it'll be a good litmus test for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh I want to ask you about the Boston Celtics. Uh, I, I, they are just so dominant at home. They haven't lost a game this season at home. Uh, they're 7-6 and six on the road. Uh, but th- they just have so many contributors. Obviously, you know, we, we see Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, Kristaps Porzingis. But, like, their top eight is just so impressive. And um, it just feels like you never really know where the next basket's coming from. And they all kind of play within the offense. Uh, I, I've been really impressed with this team. And they have so many guys that can kind of take over a game. Um, yeah, I didn't mention, you know, Derek White, uh, there, there's, they're a really talented group. Uh, and I, I think they're my favorite to come out of the Eastern conference. I really liked what I've seen from them. They can do it on both ends. I think they're the only team in the NBA that's top five in both offense and defense in terms of like points per 100 possessions. Uh, what are your thoughts on this Boston team? Yeah. So I always say this, like, um, when I'm trying to, like, when I get to the playoffs, right, I make a list of like every team's weaknesses. Okay. And I, I like, my rule is like, how easy was it for me to come up with it and explain your weakness? Okay. If it's like something similar, like spacing, like, okay, um, that tells me you're probably not going to make a deep playoff run. Right. If I can, if I could figure it out in my room that quickly, you best believe like NBA front office coaching staff, they're on top of that. Right. Um, but like, if it's hard, if it takes like a couple sentences, a paragraph, a, a whole long winded story, for me to tell you what's wrong with the team, they're they're really, really good. And so after the Celtics lost to the Pacers in the in-season tournament, everyone was like, man, sometimes their late-game offense can get a little bit slippery, and let's point to this play right here and this play right there. And, like, that's true. Like, the ball does stick sometimes in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's hands, and they revert back to old bad habits. But the fact that that is your biggest weakness, like something so specific like that, tells me you are a very, very, very good basketball team. And right now, like when I go through in my head, like, is this team a contender? Is that team a contender? I'm comparing them to the Boston Celtics. And I, yeah. as of right now, would say they're my front runner to win it all. Yeah, I've been so impressed with uh, just everything they're doing. It's been it's been fun to watch. And they're, they're definitely scary come playoff time. Um, you mentioned a team that doesn't have shooting or, you know, that was your example of like a weakness. And the first mm. thing I think of is the Orlando Magic. Uh, mm. They're right here in my backyard. I've spent a lot of time around this team. It's not even that they don't shoot the ball well. They don't even shoot it. They're, they're last in the NBA in attempted threes. Uh, and, and I think Franz Wagner leads the team in three-point attempts per game, but he's been shooting like 25% or under for most of the season. Um, it's been rough. You know, Paolo's shooting the ball well. That's been a plus. But I think he, for a while there, he might still be the only player on the team shooting above 40% from three. Everyone else has been uh, really struggling 
Gary Harris last year led the team in three-point percentage, but he's been moved to a bench role, and I think that's kind of affected him a little bit and hasn't seemed like himself. Um, this team, and then they went and signed Joe Ingles in the offseason, and everyone thought, okay, maybe he would be the guy that's knocking down threes, but he's been more of like a facilitator, coach on the floor. He's not really attempting. He's attempting a career low threes. So, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think uh, you talk to Magic fans, and they want this team, you know, want the front office to go out there and acquire some shooting because spacing is so important, especially come playoff time. Um, I think this Magic team, they've obviously exceeded expectations. They've been coming back down to earth a little bit recently. Uh, you know, they lost two games against Boston, uh, lost against Milwaukee last night. They've been struggling. Um, and we kind of talk about it like that Clippers team, that stretch of really telling, you know, okay, is this, what, what are they, is this team really for real? The Magic are kind of in the midst of a stretch like that right now against some really tough teams. So uh, I think they're going to make the playoffs. It's just I don't think they're going to be one of the top seeds in the East. Uh, but it was really promising to see them go on that win streak. And I think, you know, we saw Wendell Carter Jr. come back last night. Markel Fultz coming back soon, so that's going to be big for their depth and uh, just having more pieces there. Uh, I'm curious, do you think this Magic team, I think they're going to make the playoffs, and that's going to be a great experience for them. You know, I think that's the next step mm -hmm. for this young core. They're the fifth youngest team in the NBA. But what have you thought of this Magic team so far and their lack of spacing? Just it, it really, They're able to still beat some good teams. Like They've had wins against Boston. They've had wins against Denver. Uh, but the lack of spacing just really jumps out to me every time I watch them. Yeah, I think the biggest um, we were talking like pregame about like things that um, things that have stood out to us this season. I think the biggest lesson I've learned this season is well, okay. So I've always I've kind of always known since I started covering the game like you need spacing to win. But I thought that was like it. Like you need space to win. If you don't have it, good luck, right? But I've realized, and I think it's kind of from watching the Miami Heat make so many deep playoff runs or the Lakers last year that you can overcome poor spacing with effort and physicality. Like if you're yeah. just more physical than other teams, like it doesn't matter how many bodies they have in the paint, like you're going to score. And one thing about the Orlando Magic is they are like they're filled with guys who are just so strong, so tough. You know, I'm thinking so Paolo long. Bancaro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, um, Jalen Suggs. Even I, I, I know you love him, but I am obsessed with him. Cole Anthony. He's just man. That guy is a muscle hamster. That's a throwback to Arian Foster. Tampa Bay <laughs> and Buccaneers. Doug Martin. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Doug Martin, too. Yeah. I mean, excuse me. Doug Martin was the muscle hamster. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Prosper. I got it all mixed up. I no, tried you, to be cool. I love the nickname. Up. I'm glad we had it. I'm just glad we had a muscle hamster mentioned on the podcast. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, I think that like they can be like good like this year. Like by good, I mean like win a playoff series, series excuse me. Um, by using like their physicality and their effort to kind of like overcome the spacing thing. But like yeah. you said, like long-term, it's about how can we keep what we have here, this defensive identity, this rangy, athletic, versatile defense we have, how can we keep that while adding shooting? Um, so that'll kind of be the big question. It's a good question for them to try and figure out. Uh, they have the pieces to make the trades and all that stuff to figure it out. I was going to ask you, has, it, has the thought ever crossed your mind of the Orlando Magic trading for one Lori Markkinen. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, he would be, it's funny, Markkinen, I feel like he could be traded to pretty much every single team in the league oh, yeah. and be like a perfect He's fit. Awesome. You know, his game just complements so many different players and uh, we've seen him in so many different roles that, uh, you know, he's very interesting. I think the asking price would probably, the Magic would probably balk at that just because they're, they're a team that's kind of been very patient and they don't mm. want to kind of push all their chips to the middle of the table. 
Um, but that's very interesting. I, I think at some point, I, I okay, here's what I think. I, I don't think we're going to see them make a big kind of move for like a marketing or a star level player. I think they're going to try to add shooting like role players and, and things like that. Uh, a, those are easier to find. You don't have to give up a bunch of draft picks and young players. Um, and I just think they want the ball in Paolo and Franz's hands. You know, there's not many teams that have two six foot 10 point forwards that can create for themselves and for others. And so I think they want to have those guys as like the focal points and marketing would kind of change that a bit. Um, that's interesting though. You know, I, I think, uh, there's a lot of teams out there that are going to call about marketing. And actually we can talk about that next because Utah is in a very d- interesting position. They have a really interesting uh, or easy schedule, uh, upcoming. They play Detroit, they play San Antonio, or they just beat Detroit. They play San Antonio, they play new Orleans. Um, I think uh, if they struggle in the next few weeks, I would not be surprised if they become a seller. Uh, we've already heard rumors about Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton. Uh, marketing could be available. But I think the marketing stuff, I can't imagine he's actually going to get traded. You know, we saw the asking prices apparently similar to what they uh, got for Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert. That was reported by Kevin O'Connor. Um, what's interesting, though, I was just at the G League showcase in Orlando and uh the entire league's there, every front office, executives, GMs. Um, and, and anytime the league is in one place, trade talks tend to happen. You know, trade talks heat up and there's at least discussions happening. Um, so I think that the market and stuff, there's a lot of teams that are going to show interest. And the one thing that everyone said from the G League showcase is that there are very few sellers this year. There's a ton of buyers, but there's not many teams that are willing to sell off pieces. And so if a team like Utah, if it, whatever team does emerge as a seller, there's going to be a bidding war for their asset, whether that's marketing, whether that's a Jordan Clarkson, just because there's not many other sellers to pivot to. And so I think there's a really interesting opportunity if you're a team like Utah or a team like Detroit, uh, you know, some of these teams that maybe aren't playing well and, and want to blow it up or, or not blow it up, but sell off some pieces. There's an interesting opportunity because there could be a really great return for some of the pieces that you're going to make available because so many teams are going to come calling. Um, I don't think Orlando would be a team that makes the move for marketing, but I do think they need to find shooting either in free agency or at the trade deadline. And, you know, I just think some kind of shooting role player is probably the next step for this team. Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, This kind of perplexes me because I scouted him a little bit this summer. I thought he was pretty good. Uh, Why doesn't Jay Howard get any playing time? They just don't think he's ready. Uh, He's had a couple opportunities and uh, has struggled a bit. Um, I think, first of all, they, they've had him in the G League, so I think they're trying to develop him, and uh, his defense has been the biggest issue, and he's talked mm-hmm. about it, like, I need to get better on defense. When they drafted him, they had said that they thought his defensive struggles in college were because of an injury. He, I guess he was dealing with an ankle injury all year long, and they felt like, you know, it kind of affected him defensively more than anything, you know, um, his mobility and, and ability to keep up with players, uh, but... I think he has struggled defensively even now that he's healthy. And so maybe the ankle injury wasn't as much uh, of the issue. And it's just, he's not the best defender yet. Um, But they're working with him and developing him. And I think Jamal Mosley, as you mentioned, he's a huge, uh, he's all about effort and defense. And if you're not, if you're a defensive liability, you're not going to get playing time for Mosley. So I think that's the biggest issue. Uh, But that he could end up becoming that shooter eventually, you know, once he gets better defensively and they trust him a little bit more uh, because yeah, he was a great shooter in college. That's why they drafted him. Um, I know some magic fans were frustrated. They didn't go with, you know, Grady Dick or Jordan Hawkins, uh, but they clearly believe in jet 
And, and I think maybe in the second half of the season, he'll get more opportunities than, you know, he's gotten so far. And I think the G League is good for him too. You know, being able to get uh, playing time at that level, learn from, you know, the Osceola Magic system and kind of uh, get him some much needed reps. Uh, so yeah, Jet could be an answer. Um, I think getting Wendell Carter Jr. back is going to be big just because, or getting him back last night is big because he has been a 35 to 37% three-point shooter. Uh, and, and he can kind of provide that spacing, uh, which is important for that starting lineup. But yeah, I'm curious to see who they go try to get either this trade deadline or next offseason. Um, when you look at the market and stuff, what are your thoughts on the asking price? And again, he seems like he could fit with 29 other teams right now. So I, I get why there's going to be so much interest in him. But do you actually think he's going to get traded if that's really their asking price? Yeah. So right after we're done recording this, I'm going to hit uh, submit on an article, shameless plug, that I have coming out for Basketball Insiders, kind of delving into this very question about Laurie nice. Markman and stuff. And like when I first read the KOC thing, I was kind of like, huh, five, five first-round picks. They're not, they're not really serious about this. By the way, I don't think that the Utah Jazz should trade Markkinen. You, you tank to get players like Markkinen. You don't trade them away for more assets. That's nihilism. But um, <laughs> so I like that. Yeah, when I first read that, I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. And then, like, I started to, you know, watch some more film on him. I'm like, how much has his game changed really this year from last year? Is he still, like, the player I remember being? And, I, you know, I came down to the occlusion. I'm like, depending on, like, team situation, I would say he's still, like, like fringe all-star caliber player, right? I would – I'm just saying this um, without anyone asking me to, so I'm just getting myself in trouble. But, honestly, I would take him over Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, mm. Again, I'm saying this. Just to get myself in trouble, but that's what I that's what I feel. <laughs> uh, anyways, so like if he's a fringe all star caliber player, right? Well, who's the last time the last time a fringe all star caliber player got traded? October when Drew Holiday got traded, yeah. right? He's right around that same tier of player. An older take. fringe all star, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So Market has more value than him, even exactly. his age. Yeah, so he's seven years um, older than Markinen. They're on the same length deal. They have this year, and next year. But Holiday's making twice as much. He got traded for two first-round picks, Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, who at the time of that deal, I think both of them could have got a first-round pick yeah, in the open that's a great market. Point. So, that's, so that's basically four first-round picks. And if Markinen is more valuable than both of them, I mean, excuse me, more valuable than Holiday, yeah. honestly, five first-round picks is not crazy. They're not crazy for wanting that. Yeah, and every first-round pick isn't equal either. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we think of first-round picks, and you're thinking of lottery talent or things like that. But, I mean, if it's a contender trading for marketing, they're late first-round picks, then it's like, yeah. okay, that makes a bit more sense too. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with marketing. If I had to guess, I think he's going to stay. But I do think the Jazz are probably going to be one of the most active teams in the next, you know, two months talking about Clarkson, Sexton, some other pieces there. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Jazz make a trade, but I don't think it's probably going to be marketing. Um, I want to mention another article that you did recently about Alperin Shangun and this Houston team. Uh, it's been really fun watching him. I, I'll, I talked about it in the show, but I'm in a dynasty basketball league and I have uh, Shangun on my team. So I've been loving this breakout and just uh, how great he's looked. Uh, and I'm glad that they're kind of running the offense through him now. Uh, I know last year Jokic was saying they need to do that and they need to give him the ball more and stuff. And it seems like it's finally happening. And we've always heard about, you know, his potential and heard these comparisons to Jokic and, and great players. And it was always based on these flashes that he's shown. But now this year, he's finally getting the opportunity to really lead a team and, and have the ball in his hands more. Uh, what are your thoughts on what he's shown so far? And, and can you kind of break down what you've seen? Yeah. I mean, he's been, 
so on offense, he's like, you know, kind of like that Jokic light. Like he can do everything Jokic can just at like a lighter degree. Like he's a, you know, great passing big man. He can play the DHO game. He's a good role man, post ups, um, pick and pop a little bit. He's not nearly as the touch of a Jokic. And then on defense, though, he's like, he's been pretty sturdy. I mean, the Houston Rockets are like a very defensive focused team. If you look at Jabari Smith, Dylan Brooks, Fred Van Fleet, he's like a, you know, uh, a modern day Kyle Lowry kind of on that end of the floor for the Rockets. So they have this very defensive slanted team and Sangoon does just enough to like not hurt them on their path to being like a, a really, really good defense. I think they're in the top five right now in defensive rating, if I'm not mistaken. But then on offense, he takes this like lackluster offense, right? That's kind of devoid um, shooting. They need some spacing bad. You want to talk about that? They're devoid of shooting. Don't have like much on-ball creation. What they have is pretty flawed. And he's able to make them kind of like an average offense. So that's like, I mean, you think of that, right? You have a guy who's good enough to take these pieces, make them an average offense, and it can contribute to an elite defense. That right there is like kind of borderline all-star caliber production which is like pretty awesome for like all of those pieces, all these young talent, blue chip prospects they have for him to be the guy who kind of develops that. It's pretty damn cool. I want to ask you about this Lakers team because they've lost four in a row. They lost to San Antonio, Chicago. Um, it seems like ever since the in-season tournament championship, they just haven't really been themselves and they're struggling a bit. Uh, what do you, and I think uh, they've, they've had some injuries too. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of this Lakers team? I think, man, I, I don't know. I like, so I do like, I try to do like a deep dive on one or two teams a week, particularly the contenders. And I remember like the Lakers, I, I did my deep dive right before the in-season tournament because um, I was watching a lot of Max Christie. I think he's pretty good. I, I always come away like from these deep dives, like, man, this team like could be really, really good and make a deep run. It's just like this one little variable that I'm looking at to see how it swings to kind of decide if they will and they won't be. And the Lakers are one of those teams where it's like, you know, I love I love their defense um, like that they can put together with Davis and LeBron and Rui Hachimura. And then if they want to put Reddish on the floor or Prince or um, my guy, Max Christie, shout out Michigan State. Mm-hmm. But um, so they have like this potential to be a really, really good defense. And then the question is, like, can they have enough like offensive versatility and shooting on the floor to get by on offense. Cause I think their defense is what's going to carry them at the end of the day based on this team construct. So like, I'm really focused on like, cause I know Reeves is going to be out there at the end of games, right. With this current team, unless they make a trade, Reeves is going to be out there. LeBron James is going to be out there. Rui's going to be out there. Davis is going to be out there. Right. So with those four in mind, the fifth guy, you want to be somebody who can space the floor, who can attack off of closeouts, who can cut, and then who can guard the point of attack. Right. And they have, Right now, three guys who could be that guy in Max Christie, who's my favorite of the three. Um, if you can't tell, I really like Max, Max Christie. Cam um, <laughs> Reddish, who played really well in the in-series internet championship, and then Torian Prince. So it's like I'm kind of watching to see if one of those guys will emerge as like what I'm talking about for like the ideal fifth guy. And that'll kind of shape more how I feel about them moving forward. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, two more things. I've been a huge fan of this Oklahoma City Thunder team. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone that's watched the I show knows that I've talked about them. Yeah, I've, I've been talking about them since the offseason. Like, I picked them as a surprise team entering the year. Every week, I feel like we talk about this team. But 
we have talked about, about them right now because they just got a win over the Clippers, who, again, uh, had the longest win streak in the NBA. They beat the Denver Nuggets uh, recently. A couple weeks ago, they beat uh, the Lakers. Uh, they, they've had some quality wins, and they're right now number two in the Western Conference. Uh, they have the fourth best defense and sixth best offense. So they're doing it on both ends of the floor while being a super young team. And I, one of the things that I always say on the show is I think so much of the Thunder conversation goes to the future and the draft picks. And what are they going to be in a few years? Nihilism, Sam man, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam Presti has done a great job of kind of hoarding those draft picks and assets. But this team is super talented right now. And Ben Golliver, when he was on the show, he was saying he thinks that, you know, they're maybe one move away from being a Western Conference Finals team, you know. And that's crazy for how young this squad is. So even if they didn't have any draft picks going forward, this would be a core that I think we're talking about as being scary for the next few years. And then you throw in the fact that they do have so many picks and they could call any team in the NBA right now and, and say, hey, we have the best trade package in the league and go make any kind of move they really want. Um, Chet has been incredible. I knew he'd be great defensively, but what he's done offensively, uh, averaging you know 17 points per game, being super efficient, uh, he looks like a veteran out there offensively. It's been really impressive. Obviously, SGA is incredible and, you know, is entering the MVP conversation and is one of the best guards in the NBA. Um, and they have a lot of great role players, too. Uh, I, I think this is a really, really fun team. Um, do you think they'll finish the, the season as a top two, top three, top four seed in the Western Conference? And could we see them make noise in the playoffs? So to be like completely transparent with your audience, I'm still kind of forming my opinions on this team. Sure. Um, I think like from what I've seen so far, very balanced on both sides of the ball. They're obviously they're very well coached. That goes back to last season. Um, the big like the big like kind of critique everyone had of Chet Holmgren was like if he sees like a bigger guy, like a bigger center, like an Anthony Davis, like he's just gonna get bullied off the floor. And that's happened a little bit, but I think like Oklahoma City is so good about fronting in the post and shrinking the floor and double teaming and rotating over and all that stuff that they kind of make up for it. Um, again, I need to see more situations where he's like that. I've seen a couple games where he's been in that situation. Uh, so I have questions, right? I have questions because we've never seen Shea in the playoffs. We've never seen any of these guys really in the playoffs. I have questions about a guy like Isaiah Joe, who's very, very integral to this team's success because of his spacing and his shooting and he's made some big improvements this year on both the defensive side of the ball and his off the dribble game. But I want to see in the playoffs on a bigger stage, can he play like 25, 30 minutes a game in a postseason series? That sounds like a weird thing to like hinge all of this on, but it's it's the truth. That's like what these series end up coming down to. So I'm in wait and see mode, but I'm also well aware that, like you said, they have kind of the ammunition. They have they have the the bullets on deck to, you know, pull the trigger on a very big move that could just level them up all the way to that like Denver Nuggets, Boston Celtics tier of team. Which is crazy because I think they're the second youngest team in the NBA. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty wild that they're already playing this well and are are so ahead of schedule. Uh, so it's a fun team to uh, watch. And sorry to any of the viewers that are sick of me talking about the Thunder. Uh, it's been every week now. Um, last question for you. You interviewed Isaiah Thomas recently. Uh, he was inducted into Washington's Husky Hall of Fame. Talk to you about maybe making an NBA return. I'll admit it. I'm super biased. I love Isaiah. I met him when he was going through the pre-draft process. So years and years ago, mm -hmm. he was training at Impact Basketball in Las Vegas. And I just loved his confidence. I loved his maturity. 
Um, and then I kept interviewing him and, you know, staying close with him as he went through the different stints of his career, you know, from Sacramento to Phoenix to Boston. And it's been awesome to see the career that he's had. And um, in recent years, I know it's been tough for him to kind of get NBA opportunities. And that's been uh, frustrating because, you know, I think he is someone that can go provide a couple, you know, kind of provide instant offense off a team's bench. Uh, What was your conversation with Isaiah like? And and what did he say about a possible NBA return? Yeah. Well, Alex, you probably are like the most well-equipped, equipped, equipped, equipped (laughs) person to relate to this with all the interviews you've done over the year. But like, you know, like it's like standard practice, right? Like when you're doing an interview, with a player that was like set up like through their agent that they'll usually like the agent might call you and then they'll like cue the third player in or they'll have them call you on some like untraceable line with like some like block number. Like there's no way like of calling them back or anything. And I understand that it's their privacy. They just want to get the story done because they need to deal with media to do their job. Right. But Isaiah, like he, he's just like such a down to earth guy. He called me, like he called me like the time of our interview um, he's like, hey, man, um, this is Isaiah Thomas. Like, I think we're supposed to do an interview right now. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we are, man. It's pretty cool that you'd call me. But he's like, it's <laughs> super nice. Uh, at one point, I didn't get to put this in the story, but he was, uh, he said, he's like, I know I'm not too, um, I'm not too big for the game of life. Uh, he's like, I'm not too big for that program. So like, I treat everybody the way they want to be treated. But yeah, he's, he's just an awesome guy. There's a reason why you should love him. I remember there was a, who is this coach at Washington? I, uh, Lorenzo Romo. Oh, Lorenzo, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he played in the NBA. He coaches at Pepperdine. Now. I think he coached uh, what's his name on the Lakers, Maxwell Lewis. Um, but anyways, he has a quote in the tribute they did when he got inducted to the Husky Hall of Fame. It was like he played basketball like he was the only guy on the court who didn't know he was under six feet tall. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And it was the most like emblematic way to describe his game. Um, I uh. When uh, Bradley Beal got traded to the Phoenix Suns, I watched some of that 2017 Warriors Celtics series because I wanted to see how like Bradley Beal looked next to another like on ball star um, in John Wall, and like I was watching for that, but like naturally my eye just caught Isaiah Thomas at the height of his powers. Like he was just so unstoppable, like getting into the paint and scoring or dishing it out to teammates. He was just he was awesome, man. So much fun to watch. And you're right. I mean, that's one of the reasons he and I, I think, developed kind of a friendship because he is just so down to earth and such a nice guy. Um, You know, I think this is a theory of mine, but I think uh, a lot of the players that I've known that have um, spent multiple years in college and didn't kind of become a star until later on in life, a lot of times they're more kind of uh, down to earth and and humble. Mm -hmm. Like I think of Damian Lillard or... uh, yeah, Isaiah's a great example. CJ McCollum, like these are guys that weren't being told from the age of 13 or 14 years old that they're incredible and that they're, you know, superstars and they're going to be in the NBA and everyone kind of has their hand out because they're thinking they're going to be in the NBA someday. They were guys that weren't sure if playing basketball professionally was going to happen for them or, you know, they thought they'd be playing overseas maybe or stuff like that. And like they had a chance to mature before the fame and craziness kind of started a bit. Um, so that kind of always stood out to me with Isaiah. He's always been super friendly. Jamal Crawford always, he reminds me of Jamal in a lot of ways where mm-hmm. uh, not only is he very friendly and stuff like that, he gives back and, and uh, helps other players. And, and that's kind of the, a lot of those Seattle players kind of have that mentality of yeah. let's help each other. Let's go back to each other's camps. Let's do things for each other. Um, so yeah, I, I love that you did the interview and I hope he gets an opportunity uh, again in the NBA. You know, um, 
I think he and Jamal are two guys that are going to be playing basketball when they're like 70. They're going to be playing in Jamal's crossover uh, pro-am still. Uh, they just are hoopers that love the game so much. Like they're going to be 80 years old out there with like new hips uh, out there still dropping 50 points on people. So a uh, huge fan of both of those guys. And uh, I was happy for him seeing that he got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but Matt, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been a ton of fun. I appreciate you jumping on here to talk hoops with me. Everyone, make sure you guys follow Matt Issa on X at Matt Issa 15. I hate saying that still X. Yeah. Um, check out the Media Pass podcast. Does a fantastic job. Uh, he and Alex know their stuff, obviously. So make sure you check that out. Check out his articles at Basketball Insiders. Uh, Matt, thank you so much, man. I appreciate this. Appreciate you, Alex. And uh, yeah, always a pleasure, man. Let's definitely do it again sometime soon. If you guys want to watch more episodes of this show, check us out on Twitter, X, uh, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, every episode is available there. And you, we drop new episodes every Tuesday and Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Until next time, thanks for watching.